Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I once was teaching a high school Bible class, and I asked the students about their biggest fears. We did sort of an anonymous survey so that they'd feel comfortable being honest. And I was expecting lots of answers having to do with their social lives or with school. Things like speaking in front of class or failing a test or getting picked on or getting left out. There was some of that, but I was surprised to find that the majority of the kids worried most about death. I asked them what it is about death that makes them so fearful. They said it was the uncertainty, not knowing when they would die, whether today or tomorrow or 20 years from now or 80 years from now. When you're young, you're afraid of your life being cut short, of not getting to see or do or enjoy all the things that you're looking forward to. When you're young, your perspective is pretty narrow, and that makes you optimistic about opportunities and possibilities. And you often don't anticipate the sorrows and traumas that lie ahead. As you get older, the fear of death doesn't necessarily go away, but it changes. It can shift from a fear of life being cut short and a fear of missing out to a fear of being forgotten, the fear of being left alone, the fear that after you're gone, life will go on for your loved ones as though you didn't matter one bit. If you search through all the self-help books and popular wisdom in our world, you'll find that there is no cure for the fear of death. There are lots of bandages, lots of ways that folks compensate for the fearfulness of death. In our culture, we tend to sequester it. We push it off to the side so that we don't have to look at it. And we pretty it up so that when looking at it is unavoidable, it appears to be less gruesome than it actually is. Or we distract ourselves. The philosopher Blaise Pascal once said that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Much of our desire for busyness and distraction is an attempt to avoid our thoughts and our instinctive sense that life is coming to an end. Another bandage is to explain death away as natural, a part of the circle of life. It's a part of being human, so perhaps we should just embrace it. But death is not natural. And at the end of the day, our distractions run out, and we can't push death to the side forever. The same thing goes for grief. There are lots of strategies for dealing with grief in an attempt to somehow return to normal after you've lost someone you love. And many of those strategies are helpful, but none of them is a cure. There is no cure for grief, because losing someone leaves behind a hole, a wound. And the pain that you feel is like the pain you feel when you put your hand on a hot stove. You cry out because something is wrong. Your hand is not meant to go on a hot stove, and you are not meant to lose your loved ones. 
but there is no cure for grief, at least from the wisdom this world has to offer. Being a Christian doesn't eradicate death or grief. That's important to note. I think we occasionally gloss over that, especially when we read stories of Jesus raising someone from the dead. Take Lazarus, for instance. He'd been in the tomb four days when Jesus came and told his dead body to arise. His family and friends, Jesus included, were relieved that they could see and talk to and embrace Lazarus once again. But that resurrection needs to stay in perspective because the day was coming when Lazarus would die again. And again he would be separated from his family and friends and again they would grieve. Being a Christian, being with Christ, doesn't eradicate death or grief in this life. But here's what being a Christian does offer that the world cannot. Being a Christian lets you look death and grief straight in the eye. No need for bandages. No need to hide or shy away. Being a Christian lets you call them what they are. Evil consequences of our own wickedness. You can call them that because you know that death and grief are precisely the reason Jesus came into the world. Death and grief, which spoil humanity on account of sin, which take God's good creation and turn it ugly with the wages of our sin. That is precisely why Christ has come into the world, precisely what he has come to deal with. When Jesus sat down on the mountain in our gospel lesson, he looked about at the crowds of people and he saw people just like you. People who, without him, would be like sheep without a shepherd. People who have heard and believed and followed the voice of their shepherd. People who now live lives at odds with the world. People who lament their sins and bear their crosses and are not satisfied with this life of suffering and loss. People who long for something more, something better, something perfect in Christ. People who are eagerly waiting for the cure for grief and death. Jesus sat down on the mountain and he opened his mouth, which is the biblical way of saying that God was speaking. It's the same thing that Moses did when he spoke to the people at Mount Sinai. He opened his mouth and it was the word of God that came out. Now Jesus sits on a mountain and opens his mouth and the word of God himself speaks. The same word of God that spoke light out of darkness and everything out of nothing. The same voice of God that stills the wind and the waves and raises the dead. He opens his mouth and says to the people, he says to you what the world could never say. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, he says. Now, the world knows that term, blessed. Nowadays, it often appears with a hashtag before it, hashtag blessed. People count themselves blessed when they are rich or successful or happy or healthy. And those are indeed blessings, but they're temporal and they're fleeting, just like the rain that God causes to fall on both the just and the unjust. 
Jesus is talking about something different. Blessed are you who do not appear to be blessed in the eyes of the world. Blessed are you who by faith have put off your flesh and have put on Christ. Blessed are you who by faith now hear and obey the will of God as the Son obeyed the will of his heavenly Father. Blessed are you who now by faith look like Jesus to the world, despised and lowly, considered accursed by the world, a scandal and stumbling block to the proud, failures and losers, and those who will never amount to anything. Blessed are you who are so naive as to stare death and grief in the face, unafraid. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you who are not proud, you who have been brought low by the thundering of God's law, you who, like Mary, the mother of Jesus, say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Blessed are you, for although the world laughs because you have forfeited its treasures, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you who weep over your sins, you who weep for your loved ones. Blessed are you who grieve, for you will be comforted. Blessed are you who are brokenhearted, you who will not settle for the bandages supplied by this world. Blessed are you, for your hearts will be mended. Blessed are the meek, the lowly, you whom the world gladly pushes around in your humility, you who will be cheated and wronged and disinherited by the world because you look like fools. Blessed are you, because you have the inheritance of the sons of God. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you who are ridiculed and criticized for seeking first the kingdom of God, for putting first his word and the worship in this sanctuary. Blessed are you who struggle against your appetites, your sinful desire for the things of this world. Blessed are you, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, you who suffer injustice, you who give and expect nothing in return. You who are considered wasteful and indulgent in your generosity, blessed are you, for you shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, the single-minded, you who don't contrive or manipulate, you who love genuinely and sincerely. Blessed are you, for you shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, you who refuse to have enemies, you who overlook the faults of others, you who pray that brothers would dwell together in unity, for you shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when you suffer for the sake of Christ. Blessed are you who cry out like the faithful of Israel, How long, O Lord? Blessed are you who are in Christ. Blessed are you who repent. Blessed are you who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed are you who have been sealed with the waters of holy baptism. Blessed are you who are fed and nourished by the crucified body and blood of Jesus. Blessed are you because for you, death and grief are coming to an end. Death and grief, which seem to be the end of all things for this world, death and grief are brought to an end by the one who conquered sin and death on the cross. 
Blessed are you. For the vision of St. John, of the new heavens and the new earth, that vision is of your future. You shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike you, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be your shepherd. And he will guide you to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Those coming blessings don't eradicate grief and death in this life. But the promise of those blessings takes away the sting. Because we learn that our hope in the face of sin, death, and grief is not in ourselves, not in the least, but in Christ alone. So that we can begin not to fear, but to look forward with joyful anticipation to that day when our Heavenly Father will send His holy angels to bring us home and reunite us with our loved ones who have departed in the faith. To give you courage until that day, to strengthen you and give you endurance, even now we have a foretaste of those blessings here at this altar in the forgiveness, life, and salvation won by Christ's crucified and shed body and blood. When you come and kneel, if you look around, you will see nothing extraordinary, just as the world sees nothing extraordinary in you, as it saw nothing extraordinary in Christ. Your fleshly eyes can't perceive it, but here's what's happening. When you come and kneel to receive Christ's body and blood, the angels of heaven, who rejoice when you repent, those angels and archangels are kneeling with you, as is all the company of heaven, among whom are your beloved, who have gone before us to the nearer presence of God, those of whom the world was not worthy. They are kneeling with you before the Lamb who sits on the throne because they too rejoice to see him forgive your sins and wipe away your tears. To him, to the Lamb who sits on the throne, be all blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might forever and ever. Amen.